All right, everybody, welcome to the 26th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live from Rip City, and I got my man, Sage. Man, the consistency that we bring out this podcast is is really fantastic, man. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. It's, it's a great time to be a Trailblazer fan, regardless of their, their recent slide. It, it's fun to do this podcast each and every week. You know, give the Blazers credit. We could be like the Warriors and everything could be all roses and rainbows and sunshine and talk about wins every week. But but no, we like to go in spurts. We'll talk about wins, <laughs> losses. Uh, so we got to hand it to the Trailblazers for keeping us on our toes. We don't know each week how we're going to be talking about him, what mood we're going to be in. It's kind of a, a grab bag. They're making us be very diverse with our uh, analysis, game to game to game. And, and yeah. it's fun. Like, I, I worked in radio in Portland for a lot of years. I didn't do this show 26 weeks in a row. And I was, I, like, I was, it was a schedule. I didn't do it 26 weeks in a row. We have. So it's the consistency that I'm applauding. And we actually goofed last week. We record Monday nights, as you all know. And for whatever reason, we did not talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder game to kick off this, this road trip. And we usually preview every game and then we discuss the games the past week. I'm actually thankful we we forgot that. It saved me about 20 to 30 minutes of research because the game was a snooze fest. Yeah, man. Uh, the, the Thunder won 128 to 94. If you can believe it, the game probably wasn't even as close as that 34-point victory indicated. It felt like we were down 50 the entire game. I was at work, got off at 515, knew I was going to make it home in time to see most of the second quarter. As soon as I leave, I check the box score. I'm like, sweet, we're only down 23 to 22. We might actually have a chance to win this game. Uh, looks like we came ready to play. I get home. We're down seven or nine. I just, you know, take off some of my jackets and put away my lunch and, you know, just do the post-work routine. I sit down, and in a matter of three minutes, we're down 17 points. And by then, I knew the wheels had fallen off the wagon. I knew there was zero chance they were going to come back and win this game. And to be honest, it was, I felt like I deserve a reward for watching that game and sitting through it because it was boring. So there's a rule in radio that you don't comment about like when you mess up on air. You know what? It was an oversight by us. We goofed, but again, it saved us a few, it saved us some time and it would have been the same stuff we said. Their shooting guard is their weakness. But, yeah, that game, I feel like when you're able to put pressure on, on the Blazers' guards, or we, we crumble. I guess what's so upsetting about this game is the Thunder were not playing good basketball. They're 4-8, and eight, I believe, since the All-Star break. They had just lost at home to the Minnesota Timberwolves, the lowly Minnesota Timberwolves, on a Ricky Rubio three-pointer of all shots. They can't beat anybody good. I believe they lost to San Antonio the next night after that. They haven't been able to beat the Warriors. It's just supremely frustrating that Portland is not being competitive at all in, in their, their recent losing streak. We knew the schedule was going to toughen up. And to me, the losses, it's not about wins and losses. 
this season, we've said it from day one, it's not about how many wins and how many losses this team accumulates. It's about player development and how the games are going. Early in the season, we were losing more than we were winning, but we rarely saw a blowout. Mm-hmm. It seems like every time we hit the road now against a, a sub or a plus 500 team, they're smacking us in the mouth and the game's over after the first quarter. And to me, I send it out on Twitter. That's worrisome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the last week and a half has given us pause about this team's makeup currently. I feel like this was a very chalk week. The stuff that was supposed to happen happened, and the stuff that wasn't supposed to happen, you know, didn't happen. That's fine. It's just the way that we lost was kind of, it was really rough. It was extremely rough. Very rough. Yeah, there's no kind of if, ands, or buts around it. It was rough. And to your point, it does give you a lot of pause when you're talking about this team. Portland had such momentum heading into that six-game Eastern Conference road trip. They won their first three, and it was almost like after that Boston game, something flipped. It was either in the opposition started to take Portland more seriously or the Blazers let their foot off the gas a little bit, maybe came back down to earth. They were playing above their heads. We all knew that. So that's really not surprising, but it's still disappointing and it does give you pause and a little concern. You go from thinking, hey, we might have a 30% chance of winning a first round series to are we even going to make the playoffs or do you even want to make the playoffs if you're going to back in like this? Because to be frank, I don't want to make the playoffs if we're only beating the teams we should be and then getting spanked by 25, 30 points to a team we're likely going to face in the first round. Mm -hmm. Because I sat through five games of that Memphis series last year, and to be honest, I would have rather been in the lottery than having to watch those five playoff games. So if we actually were prepared and talked about the game uh, last week, would you have said we'd have won the Thunder game or lost? No, like you said, last week was chalk. I expect this week to be chalk as well, not to give any spoilers about our preview of the upcoming games, but I I did not see a win against OKC. I I said it all along. We match up terribly against them, and had it not been for Dame going supernova on the Thunder earlier in the season when he scored like 17 points in three minutes, we would easily be 0-3 against them, and they just manhandled us every time this year in OKC in tonight's game, you know, they out rebound us 52 to 39. We give up 56 points in the paint to this team. Uh, at one point they, their lead was as big as 40 and we just have no answer for their bigs. Uh, Anus Cantor just, just demolishes us. He had 26 points, seven boards shot nine of 15 from the floor, eight, eight of eight from the free throw line. Uh, Steven Adams has 13. You can't you cannot let Steven Adams get 13 points on five of six shooting. And that's all off of Westbrook penetration. Westbrook was almost the first player in NBA history to get a triple-double in the first half. Had it not been for him stepping out of bounds on a rebound, he would have had it. It's just unacceptable. And what I saw was him just blurring by the guards and the bigs coming over and doing what they can do. But there's there's just nothing to do when Westbrook gets that deep. He's just handing it off to their to their bigs and getting easy buckets. And they just attacked us in the paint non-stop and that's a way to beat Portland we do not have a legit rim protector that's one of our major weaknesses and I don't know how Terry Stotts can defend this team I've gotten on him I've been very hypercritical of him at times I just don't think this is a fantastic matchup because of Russell Westbrook maybe you put a menu on him but then who guards Durant uh it's it's a it's a catch-22 situation with the Blazers so I don't fault stops this this is just a terrible awful no good bad matchup for the trailblazers and maybe you look at 
zoning the Thunder. They're not a fantastic three-point shooting team, especially uh, their shooting guard. Maybe you do what the Warriors did against the Grizzlies when you put a weak defender on a Tony Allen. So you're essentially playing five on four and letting uh, Roberson you know, roam free. If he shoots the threes and make it, so be it. That's probably what you're going to have to do because Westbrook driving to the basket that's game over. And maybe you play you play Westbrook like you play Rondo and just pray that he misses his jump shot because while he is a good shooter, he's not on the level of Curry or Lillard. So it's really a pick your poison with that team and a horrible matchup. I, I really would not like to see them in the playoffs. And that's why when I asked you and Larry a couple weeks ago, OKC or Spurs, I'm taking Spurs because the Spurs, while they're fantastic in every statistical category, statistical category, excuse me, they don't have Westbrook and Durant, and those two can change a game like that. I mean, how many teams have the um, Russell Westbrook stopper? I, I've I've seen like I think Drew Holiday plays pretty good against Russell Westbrook, but then I look at the box score and I'm like, oh, he scored like 35 against us. That dude is a matchup nightmare. So while he's athletic, there's not much that opposing teams can do because not many people are built like him. He's just an athletic specimen in a league of athletic specimens. And to be fair, the Warriors are 3-0 against them, but each game has went down to the wire, and the Warriors have only won because they can shoot the shit out of the basketball, and it just makes up for it. When you can get three, they can get two. You're going to win every time. He's just a beast. That There's no no other way to put it. He's a fantastic player. And the reason the Thunder are performing underperforming so much this year is probably chemistry. Uh, there's no reason this team should not be right up there with the Warriors and Spurs in terms of win or chasing records because that team is freaking stacked. Mm-hmm. Orlando. Enough of, yeah, right. enough of the Thunder game. That was, that was a, like I said, a bummer game. Wasn't too surprising that they handed it to us, but it was nice that the Blazers handled their business at home against the Orlando Magic. It was uh, a blowout, 121-84. to Every Blazer who played scored. Um, you're getting contributions from everybody. Portland had, I believe, uh, 60 bench points, which is just fantastic compared to 29 to Orlando. And it was a performance that was much well needed because you've got a Magic team coming in without Alfred Payton, without uh, Nikola Vucevic, and I believe they are missing someone else. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Either way, you're coming in right after losing to the Warriors. You could have held your head and gotten Brandon off. Jennings. Brandon Jennings. That's who it was. I knew they were missing somebody else. So it was a very weak Orlando team. Portland did what they were supposed to do, but not every team does what they're supposed to do, especially a young team. Uh, Orlando did get out to that hot start 11-2, to and I was kind of like, here we go. Portland is not mentally prepared for this game. They're going to have to grind it out and... They might lose this one. Thankfully, they flipped the switch immediately. And, uh, you know, it was really a team performance. The Blazers shared the basketball like none other. They had 34 assists on 47 made field goals. And you compare that to Orlando, who had 19 on 34 made field goals. The ball was popping around the perimeter, swinging to the open man. And Blazers were knocking down the threes. Finished 17 of 35 from downtown. Orlando was just 7 of 26. And they did on the glass as well, 51 to 39. They did all of the things you want to do to beat a team. You share the basketball, you hit the open shots, and you make them pay for their misses. Or if you miss, you get those second chance points. It was fantastic to see. 
what did you think about, I, I know you're a Jason Smith guy, uh, that elbow he uh, probably unintentionally sent to Dame, but what did you think about that whole situation? Were you at the game? No, I was going to get tickets, but my, my buddy backed out and, uh, I saw that they were about $49 for the cheapest seats and I wasn't about to pay $49 to sit in the nosebleeds to watch the Orlando Magic play. So one of my friends was actually at the game and he saw Jason apologize to him, uh, apologize to Dame at midcourt after the game. Yeah, they, yeah, they showed that on television. Honestly, I, I didn't think of it as that big of a deal because I, I didn't get a good angle of it, but, I feel like that's how most people set screens that set screens well. That's a little elbow. I, I didn't think of any, I didn't think anything was wrong with that play. Dame took exception of it. And, and that's what, that's Dame, his prerogative. So that's what made me think there was something to it because Dame doesn't always get like that. He's not a guy who's going to, you know, bitch and complain after every call or every whistle. So for him to take exception to it, I thought there might have been something to it. Afterwards, they apologized. Looks like they hashed it out. It was unintentional. But what I loved was Ed Davis fouling the hell out of Jason Smith. Shouldn't have been a flagrant two, but I just love that whether Dame was right or wrong, he says, I've got your back. You're my teammate. You're my point guard. You're our franchise player, our number one leader. Something, someone's going to mess with you. You know, tell them to answer to me. Exactly. That's, that's, I thought that was old school. That was Maurice Lucas type of shit. Big ups to you, Ed Davis. Yeah, I I didn't see anything extremely wrong with any of the stuff that went on. I think it was a flagrant too, but it, like but with, two, no way. Oh, bro, it was a flagrant too. To a flagrant two has to be intent to severely hurt. He just went over his shoulders, like and hit and him in the face. It was unintentional. It hit him in the face. He was actually, you know, with the ball in the head. He did mean to foul him hard. There was a flagrant one, but flagrant two, you got to get out of here with that. There's no oh. way that's too. Oh, bro. I agree to disagree. Man, you're the one person I've said that's a flagrant too, so I uh, think I'm going to dev on this one. But, uh, yeah, yeah Jason, I, I think Jason's a really good story. He worked hard and developed his game. He played really badly for that first half, though. Oh, yeah. I was begging him to shoot those jumpers just in and out all day long. <laughs> yeah, but, like, in New Orleans, he developed that corner three. I don't know why they don't do it, but whatever. Yeah, for that game, I was really hoping it would be a coming out party for Alan Crabb. Uh, he, he ended with 18 points on six of eight shooting. Unfortunately, it didn't translate over to the OKC game, but the more times he can start picking it up, the better. He's really been in the slump mm-hmm. since February. Hendo's definitely, he, he had a fantastic Wizards game. He's definitely back into the flow. He added, uh, 11 points on four of six shooting, four boards, four assists. You got Myers, who's playing well. He had a 13 on only nine shots, hit 60% of his threes, five rebounds, four assists. And, you know, when you factor that bench getting 60, you get 18 from CJ and 19 and 10 from Dame. That's going to add up to a, what was it, 37-point victory. Can we shout out Terry Stotts for not matching them by going small? Because he had plenty of opportunities to go small against Orlando. Because they had Aaron Gordon playing five most of the game, or Jason Smith, who's he's not a he's not a five. So him actually taking advantage of the matchups because they didn't have Husevic to bang around at the post. I I really like that uh, Coach Stotts taking advantage of that matchup against Orlando's depleted bigs. 
yeah, it was a good game for Myers to play, especially when the whole team's hitting threes. He went three of five, and we were getting looks all over the perimeter. You want as many shooters in there as possible. He's a better shooter than Mill Harkless. Uh, it, it makes complete sense. And Myers was doing a good job on the boards, too. Uh, if Portland can rebound and play defense in a, ma- in a mismatch, it was a mismatch for Orlando on one, and it was a mismatch for Portland on the other. Both teams had their strengths and weaknesses. But if Portland can rebound out of whatever small or big lineup they're in, that's going to allow them to continue to do that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I've, I've got to take a pretty big L on the next game. The Blazers lost 128 to 112 in Golden State. Golden State continues to be undefeated for Cole Arena. And to be honest, I knew this game was over the moment Clay Thompson hit that first, those first three threes. Because that is rule number one when playing the, the Warriors. You cannot let Clay go off because once Clay starts going off, you already know Curry's gonna get 30. And then you're dealing with two elite level shooters. One is hard enough to beat. You cannot let the other go off. And we all know Curry's not gonna miss. Mm-hmm. So that really kind of took a lot of the luster out of that game. I was really looking forward to it. Then I saw how they started. You could tell they had this game circled since Portland laid the wood to them directly after the all-star break and not surprising Mm. Uh, i thought we would win but i didn't expect it and there's two there's those are two different things uh you play the magic you think you're going to win and you expect to win Uh, i I did not expect to beat the warriors i thought it would take a you know a herculean effort like they did in january especially from lillard but um when you let curry get 18 points and Clay get 12 points. They get 30 points from the backcourt in the first quarter on 11 of 19 shooting. That's just absolutely ridiculous, and there's no way you can stop it. They ended with 34 and 37, respectively. They're going to win 99 out of 100 times when their backcourt gets over 70 points. I mean, that's what Portland did when they beat them in February. This is what Golden State returned the favor. But I will say, and it had no overall effect on the game, but officials... If I'm Stotts, I need to say at the beginning of the game, you need to watch Andrew Bogut on his moving screens because that's how Clay Thompson got open on about half of his wide open threes mm-hmm. and they got to his rhythm. You need to call that foul because it is hard enough to defend him with his um, supremely quick release. But when he's getting a couple extra seconds because of that moving pick, it, there's no chance for the defender. What you can expect from Golden State in the playoffs. They, they, they looked hungrier. They played way smarter, more efficient. And it's tough to beat them when they have those two guards going off. Yeah, I mean, it was, you look at the box score. Golden State gets 39 free throws, makes 30. Portland only gets to the line 23 times. You're not going to win shooting 16 less free throws in Golden State. You look at the rebounding, 56 to 39 in favor of Golden State, a 16 to 7 advantage on the offensive glass. That means you're allowing Golden State 16 extra possessions. The best offensive team in the NBA does not need 16 extra possessions. That's a recipe for disaster. And you got into a three-point shooting contest with the Warriors. And while the stats say you won it, Portland shot 53%, Golden State shot 45%, an NBA record for combined three-point field goal attempts. A lot of those threes Portland made came a little bit late. The game really was over within the first few minutes when they went on that massive run. But I do want to give credit to the Blazers in this game. They had a bench unit led by Pat Connaughton and Brian Roberts and Noah Vonleh 
And they just went in there and they hustled. They played tough and they actually got the lead down to 12 or 14 points. It was over 30 at one point. They started a, a 13 0 run to start quarter four. I have in my notes. They were down 32 at one point and got to 14. They forced Steve Kerr to bring Steph Curry and Clay Thompson back in the game. That's a mini win in my book mm-hmm. because one, it shows you never quit. And I, I love that in a Blazer team. And two, we saw Brian Roberts. He can score. If he's willing to come back on a cheap, cheap contract, I see no problem as him being our third point guard because I think he could be utilized a little bit more. He's, he's, he's money from the mid range and he does know how to find his way to the basket. And it was almost like the basketball god slapping me in the face. I think immediately after I texted, I said, Pat is bad. He just starts tearing it up and then follows it up with a fantastic game against the magic. All of a sudden, this dude is showing me a lot of stuff. He's more than just a spot up shooter. He's, playing very savvy and more than a rookie with his, his cuts. He's just crafty. Um, very impressed with Pat Connison of late. Would love to see him get more run when it comes to blazer blowout victories. Yeah, but, I mean, where is he going to get that rotation minutes on this team, though? Well, not this year. That's what I'm but saying. Yeah. Let's handle some business on this road trip. Get a cup. If you can, get a blowout victory um, down the stretch of the season. Do so so you can see what you've got. Mm. and. You know, while we're talking, you know, Pat Connaughton, let's give it up for, you know, Cliff Alexander and, and Luis Montero, who were actually on loan for, our, was it the Santa Cruz Warriors? Hold on. Let me look this up right quick. It's a wonder what PT can do to a player, though. Casey Holdall of the Portland Trailblazers had a really good a blog post today, not only recapping how Montero and Alexander played over the first two games, but there is a video footage and okay. They are the Santa Cruz warriors. Let's take a look. Luis Montero in his first game shot about 50%, got to the line seven times had 20 points, seven boards, two assists and three steals key for Montero who plays a little herky jerky like Will Barton only had two turnovers in that, in that game. Alexander, a little bit rougher night, 4 of 13 shooting, did get to the line eight times, had 13 points, eight boards, two blocks, and, and a steal. Uh, there was one play in that game where Montero split the defense, threw a lob up where Alexander just flushed it down. Uh, it was really fantastic. And uh, the next night, they actually played as well, and Alexander just was a beast. Uh, totally flipped his field goal percentage around, shot 75% from the field, 21 points, and... He is really developing a nice outside jump shot, which I did not think he had anything close to in his offensive, you know, arsenal. So it's really great to see him getting able to practice that jumper in a D league setting where he's not going to get pulled, where he's actually getting minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, these minutes do matter. They're not NBA minutes, but they're better than practice minutes. And Montero in that second game also finished with 17, seven assists five rebounds and two steals, but did have six turnovers. So there's that turnover prone uh, that we were talking about. He does play a little reckless, but that's what you get. What I did see in those highlights was a lot of Will Barton. He's very herky-jerky, long, lanky. He's got a nice touch around the rim. And if he can get a jumper, you can see why the Trailblazers like this kid and they kept him over a guy like uh, Tim Frazier. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Cliff Alexander. You can see why the Blazers like him and added him to a roster spot. And you can see also why he was the number one high school recruit in 2014. He is just a big, 
big body, very beastly down low, and finishes everything around the rim. If he can get that jump shot coming to Summer League, he could, he could, he could fight for some minutes. So Summer League is going to be big for both of these players. I would love to see these reports keep coming in because while you can scoff and say, oh, it's just Summer League, or excuse me, the D League, look at Tim Frazier. He's racking up triple doubles right and left. Maybe so, but would you rather have Montero and Alexander play shitty or would you rather them put up numbers? Because those numbers are better than not putting them up. You know and, what I'm saying? And it's court development time. All that stuff matters. It's all, it's like all small goals that you achieve to get a, to get a better player. Having them go to the D League and do well is a very good thing for the future prospects of their careers. I was going to say, it's kind of like when a backup quarterback in the fourth and fifth string receivers maybe the scout team receivers in college, they're always practicing with each other because the starters are getting starters reps. But whenever they're put into a game environment and they're both on the field, they already have a built-in chemistry Mm -hmm. because they practice so much. Do you think Montero and Alexander, we've heard they already play two-on-two with Connaughton and Vonley pregame, but by actually playing together, they're going to develop some chemistry that they could take with them two or three years down the road when they are getting meaningful minutes with the Blazers. Without a doubt. I mean, you're seeing it now with uh, Joe Young and Miles Turner, Turner. in, in pa- the Pacers. They've started developing that chemistry around Christmas because they were always on the bench together. And then they got major minutes with Indiana and started killing it together. 30 points for Young and like 20 for Turner. So developing that chemistry with players is so important i mean just look at the atlanta hawks from three years ago to two years they developed they made a huge jump chemistry helps and continuity helps all that stuff all the major all the great teams stay together and develop i mean look at the spurs they developed that continuity i mean amen yeah. preach because that that makes a whole lot of sense and Teams pieced together in one offseason typically don't win championships. I know there are exceptions like the 08 Boston Celtics, but even then they kept that core together and made another finals run. Yeah, I mean, just think LeBron James didn't win a finals on his first go-around, but when he developed the the chemistry with the rest of the team, it, 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 it was championship season. And, and speaking of chemistry, I don't know if the Blazers beat the Wizards without the type of team chemistry that they have. I know there are a lot of young and new parts, but it seems like they've really grown together. And behind the heroics of Damian Lillard, they gutted out a 116-109 overtime victory uh, against the Wizards to begin the week. And that game was strange, kind of drunk. I took my, my work buddy, Ian, to the game with me, and it looked like Portland had the game in hand. Uh, up 13, it was, it was at least double digits, but it felt like we were never going to lose the game. All of a sudden, Washington makes a run, takes a halftime lead, blitzes us out of the third quarter, and we're down 13. And I'm, I kind of think we still could win, but you get really nervous. And all of a sudden, it was a photo finish down the stretch. That game messed with my emotions on a lot of different levels. I, I I agree with the team chemistry. If they didn't have that, we wouldn't have been able to gut it out. And there was a lot of good defense of that last that that overtime. I saw a lot of hustle, a lot of want. I want this yeah. game. We and we we give Myers his fair share of criticism, especially when Stotts goes goes big when he should go small. But I thought in the fourth quarter he really played good defense. He helped out when he should. He grabbed 
rebounds uh, in traffic and earned his place on the court. Sometimes mm-hmm. I don't think he um, should be on the floor at certain times, but that that time, that game, he earned it and he played fantastic. But we want to talk about doing yeoman's work on the glass. Ed freaking Davis. What a man-child. Uh, nine points, 15 rebounds, and he was owning the glass in that fourth quarter and overtime period. With no Gortat play. on the floor, too. With Gortat on the floor, no play was bigger than the offensive rebound after that Lillard three where he dished it back to him in the corner, put Portland up five, really cemented that victory for the Blazers, and just what a fantastic acquisition. And you've got to think he's got a place with the Trailblazers for the long term because oh, without a doubt. role players like that, people might think they're easy to find. They're not. People who will accept coming off the bench have a NBA skill set and a talent. That's it's just not that's just not easy to find. And he does it. He's a great contract. Uh, he's a great teammate. People love him. Fan favorite. Already one of my favorite Blazers. Just a hard worker. You know, brings his lunch to work every day. Just goes about his business. Doesn't care if he shoots one time or two times or ten times. All he wants is that win. And he knows his job is to play defense. Block shots, get rebounds, find shooters, mm-hmm. finish at the rim. And, and that's another thing. He finishes at the rim fantastic with that left hand. I, there are so many times on that pick and roll or I'm like, I don't know if that's, oh, there's Ed finishing again, like feening off the defender. Um, I'm just gushing over him because I love Ed Davis so much. And he's probably the best blazer at putting back the ball after Damian drives and for the Kobe assist. I think he's got the most like putbacks from that on the team. So he definitely has a place in this on this team. It's just again, it's always that one too many bigs on this team. It, it's it's a great problem to have, but it's also a problem cuz we're not giving enough time for Vonley to develop and all that. But dude definitely deserves his minutes and the minutes he gets, he's very productive. And we would be remiss if we did not talk about Damian Lillard uh, what a fantastic game. 41 points on 25 shots, shoots almost 50% from three and gets to the line 12 times, adds in 11 dimes, only one turnover. What, I mean, you start losing words, uh, superlatives, adjectives, whatever. Your vocabulary becomes really thin when you're starting to describe Damien Lillard because you're running out of words. Uh, what he's done this year, Nothing short of magnificent. Yeah, he he's definitely showing that he's in the elite one group of point guards. He is definitely putting his team on the back, uh, putting the team on his back. And what I was reading the other day, and no knock on Anthony Davis uh, of the Pelicans, but you look at a player like Anthony Davis, who is a fantastic superstar in this game, not able to lead his team to the playoffs this year. You look at even Russell Westbrook when KD went down not able to lead his team to the playoffs. Right now, Lillard has a Trailblazer team on pace, uh, on the path to postseason basketball. Yes, McCollum's a nice player, but he still has a little bit of inconsistent nights in him. What he's doing, I think, is just nothing short of miraculous, if we're being honest. Portland doesn't score in the in the paint off of post plays. They do not have a low post threat. They do not have an interior defender, and outside of Lillard, you could say McCollum is the only other option you really have to watch out for. 
for the te- this team to be over 500 at this junction of the season, you have to tip your hat at the Blazers. Yes, they're struggling a little bit right now, but grand scheme. We have to look at the grand scheme when it comes to this this season. Oh, still a tr- tremendous success. Oh, without a doubt. Even though we lost the four starters and whatever, they had the summer to have chemistry. and To gel. Exactly. And Damien realized, okay, this is the team that's around me. I have to do this, this, and this for us to win. And he was able to do those things to win. I think it starts off the court. And like you mentioned, offseason, what does he do? He organizes a team activity in San Diego, gets them all together. Mm -hmm. So they're bonding. It's stuff like that. It is the little things. And we've touched on this on this podcast before. It really comes down to chemistry and how well you like playing with your teammates, how well you know them. Because everybody in the NBA is talented. Mm -hmm. Do you have somebody on that court in that locker room that is going to motivate and lead by example and get the best out of his teammates? Portland does, and that is a fantastic building block for the f- future. And nothing exemplified that more than Coach saying, CJ, we're down by two. We are giving it to you mm-hmm. to tie this game and get us into overtime. Not one player said a word, said, no, we should give it to Dame. Dame didn't say, hey, give me the ball. He didn't Scotty you know, Pippen it. He did not Scotty Pippen that. And we've seen so many egos with superstars over the years. It is so damn refreshing to hear all of these good stories about Damian Lillard. And what does CJ do? He puts Sessions on skates, hits a clutch fallaway jumper, goes into overtime where Portland eventually wins the game. I thought that was major, major for CJ to do that, especially mm-hmm. for his confidence. Oh, without a doubt. We know, we know he gets buckets. But when you can get clutch buckets, that's when your offense starts to go to a whole other level. And it's something Dame has done early in his career. So it's just beautiful to see CJ already start that trend for his career as well. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Woo. So that was the week that was a, a two and two week chalk as, as expected. The Blazers currently right now, they're still in sixth, 35 and 33. However, you've got Houston playing good ball right now. They're 34 and 33. Dallas struggling, but gets a massive win tonight in Charlotte to go 34 and 33 as well. And it looks like the Jazz are going to somehow, they're going to beat the, the Cleveland Cavaliers at home without Gordon Hayward. Uh, if you're Portland, you really wanted to see that, that victory, but you can't rely on Cleveland lately. They no, lost, to, they lost to a Memphis Grizzly team without Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, Marcus Ole, Courtney Lee. Uh, Jeff Green. They after all those trades, after all those injuries, they lost to them at home. I think what's gonna be the reason Memphis loses more games is the Vince Carter injury because he's out. That- and, Chalmers, and Mario Chalmers is out. This team is so be- banged up. I, I definitely see Memphis falling uh, right now. But in terms of Cleveland, I, I can't believe they're not doing us any solid. So Utah's about to go thirty-two and thirty-five. That would only put Portland. Two and a half up. Yes, they do have the tiebreaker, but two and a half up with 72, doing some quick math in my head. 14 games left. Is that right? 14 games left. You're only two up in the lost column with the tiebreaker. The tiebreaker is important, though. That is going to go down to the wire. And then you've got Memphis, who has 28 losses. You would think a five-game cushion at this point is, you know, locked down. I don't know. I've looked at the schedule. It is difficult as hell. It's extremely Memphis, as crazy as it seems, they might fall out of the playoffs. And that's they, another pick. They, that's they another have nobody. Pick. None. No, Lance Stevenson. He's playing really well for he's some reason. Their best, 
he's their only option. Yeah, it's Jermichael Green and uh, Lance Stevenson. Ryan Hollins or Matt, Bar- Matt Barnes. Matt playing. Barnes, Chris Birdman, Anderson. Just a bunch of all yeah, Doesn't surprise me. I, I think they have like three 10-day contracts right now. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Memphis drop. But I was doing some math and looking at schedules. Dallas has a brutal brutal schedule. Worse than Portland down the stretch. Houston's is manageable. Uh, Portland, once they get out of this this road trip, will be manageable as well as they have eight of their last 11 at home, including the final three. I think it's going to take 10 wins, 45 wins. So Portland would need to go 10 and four the rest of the way to get that fifth seed. Okay, the fifth seed. What do you think it would be to get the eighth seed? I mean, you're probably looking at maybe eight wins. I mean, it, it's it's so... It's tight, man. It's so tight. So anything you can do... So that's why you can't really fret too much about this Oklahoma City loss. It's expected. Uh, you want to see them play better and not get blown out of the gym. But you look at the overall road trip, and if you could go two and two and split that, that's what you want to do. Uh, don't try to get into long losing streaks. Even though Portland lost three straight, they still went three and three on that previous mm-hmm. road trip out east. Let these teams lose. Dallas has lost a ton, especially at home, and those were not even to the teams that they're coming up. If you look at their schedule, it is absolutely brutal. Let's take a look at it right quick. So before they had won that that game in Charlotte, they won 107 to 96. They have lost five straight. Those five games, four of them were at home. They lost to the Sacramento Kings in Denver. They lost to the Clippers, Pistons, Pacers. Okay, they get a big win in Charlotte, but then their reward, Cleveland, who's not going to be too happy about Losing to think, Utah, you would they think will be, they will be coming home. That's the thing, though. Yes, Cleveland is Jekyll and Hyde. So are the Thunder. I think that Timberwolves game was the camel that broke their back for the week. Any team they were going to play, maybe outside of the Warriors or Spurs, was going to get spanked tonight. That was the Trailblazers, unfortunately. So you have Dallas. They have to play their next two, two, one, two, three, four. Their next five games go something like this at Cleveland. Versus Golden State, versus Portland, at Portland, at Golden State. Those Portlands, the the, the the game against Dallas for Portland, those two games, super important. Super important, but, you know, it's not the end of the world, too. For if you're, I mean, Obviously, you have to at least split, but Dallas' schedule is brutal. The team to watch out for, Houston Rockets. I think they're the team that you look at in the standings and you say, yeah, they could catch Portland and pass us. If you look at conference record, we have a half game lead in that tiebreaker. We are 23 and 8 in the conference. They are 23 and 19. Or excuse me, we are 23 and 18. They're 23 and 19. Because the two teams split during the regular season, that would be the tiebreaker. So now you got to start watching Houston. Watch Memphis. I think Utah, it's tough. So when I you're. Think- so when you're looking at the predictions to see who's going to make the playoffs, I think of the, those five teams, Portland and Houston, I would say are locks at this point. Dallas, their schedule's just so tough. Memphis, if they didn't have a cushion, I would say they're out, but they, I don't know if they'll be able to lose seven games when Utah playing perfectly. So I think one of the teams isn't going to make it is either going to be Utah, Dallas, or Memphis. But it, it's a, it's really a coin flip right now. So scoreboard watch that. When you check the Blazers stats, scoreboard watch and see if those three teams lost. If they lost and Blazers won, 
That is a good day to be a Trailblazers fan. Speaking of the playoff stage, I want to talk about a tweet that I saw from Jason Quick at Comcast Sportsnet, who says the Blazers' only chance at winning a playoff series is by starting Myers Leonard. I also sometimes watch Talking Ball. I don't know why, just a little bit for like five minutes or so. But what upsets I can't see? I can't watch Talking Ball because Isaac Roth was on that show was saying Dame take, took a bad shot off of the, the Ed Davis play against the Wizards we were talking about. He thought those two Dame shots were bad shots. Which I, one I just is, wanted, he? is he the white guy? I don't know. He's a white guy with a beard. So The skinnier one? I, oh, the dude who's always on radio? Yeah. Oh, okay. Either way, once he said that, I had to tune him out and turn it off. But I get very irritated with most Blazers media. I. But what really irked me was them all saying, we can't win with Noah starting or Myers has to start. Myers has not earned a starting spot. He's oh. not a power forward. No. You cannot play him at center with Mason Plumley. Myers Leonard is a center, bottom line. And Vonley plays much better defense. And to be honest, with CJ and Dame and Mace on the pick and roll, we don't need Myers taking shots from those guys. And just My- think about it defensively. Noah Vonley can actually switch on defense. Which in any scheme is very important, but in this scheme in particular, it's very important to be able to switch on to the guard and make his life a little more difficult than he expected. So I think they're being very short-sighted with the thing by thinking of just offense. It, there's, it's a, it's not like baseball where you take the worst, uh, defender out and make him a DH. This is where you play two sides of the ball. And Noah Vonley is a superior defender. And what the Blazers need is better defenders on the floor. Defense. We need defense, my friend. I, I think this offseason, we can't focus on offense. It has to be to sure up that defense. Offense is fun and it wins games. But you know what wins championships? Balanced, balanced teams. Nice. Defense. <laughs> and that could not have been a more perfect segue into our, our preview because we're going to talk about the San Antonio Spurs and what I had written down first. The Portland Trailblazers have allowed, brace yourself. If you're listening at work, maybe turn off, turn off the volume. Just put it in your headphones. This is NSFW. Portland has allowed 122.4 points per game over their last five losses. Let that sink in. 122.4. That is beyond horrific, horrendous. Is that the worst, like, five, like, is that the worst in NBA history? I don't know about NBA history, but it's easily the worst stretch of the Trailblazers season right now. And you have to be extremely worried if you're a fan. Yes, you see those teams as Boston, Toronto, Detroit, Golden State, and who did we just play? Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. City. In certain games, you could say, yeah, it's a poor matchup. But those are five really different teams that can beat you five different ways. And you know the similarity of all five of those teams? They're all bad. They have basketball IQ, all five of them. And they all have point guards that attack the shit out of us. We have such a problem defending point guards. You know, I guess there's one common. It's the point guard. They get to the paint 
and they just disrupt everything. And Portland, they can go ahead. They can get any seed one five through eight. That that's great. They don't shore up this defense. They're going to get swept. They're not even going to win a single game because right now the defense they're playing is abysmal. Abysmal. There's there's no word in the English dictionary to define how I feel right now about the way this team's playing defense. They're not even putting up any sort of resistance. There's no, you know, we've touched on this before. There's no change in the defense. It's base. We just let teams go. They go right by us. There's the help's too late. There's not enough helping of the helper. The bigs don't hedge. We could go on and on, but the numbers do not lie. And I, I don't know where the flip is going to get switched. It's going to be tough for it to be switched in San Antonio because the Spurs are 56 and 10. Any other year, they would be the talk of the town. The Warriors just happen to be four games better than them, which is incredible to even think of. But the Spurs, like Golden State, 32 and 0 at home. They've won nine of their last 10. Uh, the teams, this is the third and final matchup. The two teams met in, on November 11th in Portland. It was LaMarcus Aldridge's, uh, only return. It was a close game, but the Spurs, uh, ended up running away a little bit, uh, 113 to 101. San Antonio had six players in double figures, led by Aldridge's 23. They met just five days later in San Antonio, where the Spurs again won by about 12 to 13 points, 93 to 80. Again, San Antonio had six Six players in double figures. Lillard had 27 for Portland, but as you see, Lillard had 27 of Portland's 80. Didn't get much help. That team is a team, and they play defense, and they know your weaknesses, and they have the best coach maybe in basketball history on their sideline. And they have a fantastic staff. Like, they have European Hall of Fame coaches. Like, they are very diverse in the coaching. It's very intelligent. And the Blazers played him early on the year when LaMarcus Aldridge was playing awful. He's playing really well right now. So this is a different team than what the Blazers saw. Because LaMarcus is playing at a really, really high rate. And that changes a lot when you have a power forward that's getting like 25 points a game. And thankfully, Portland doesn't have to go in there on their back-to-back. Somehow, by the scheduling, they have two days off. I don't know whether that's good or bad after getting blown out by 40 points to Oklahoma City, but they have two days off and see if they can get some practice time in. Maybe look themselves in the mirror and and say, "Hey, we could beat the Orlando's and the Washingtons of the world at home, but let's get our let's get our our road swagger back. Let, let's win a game on the road. It's been five straight road losses after winning what six straight. I want to see this team beat a good team. It, it's been a while, mm-hmm. and." While we are sur- surpassing expectations, this is kind of the next step. How are you going to respond when you're getting punched in the mouth? And this schedule is punching them in the mouth. Will they continue to fight and, and squeak out a couple victories that they shouldn't, shouldn't, or are they just going to lose to who everyone thinks they're going to lose to and, you know, hang on for the seventh or eighth seed? I would really love it to be the former. I, I think this team has a lot of grit, has a lot of fight. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen in San Antonio because you, all the Spurs are statistically even better than Golden State. Um, they score, they can score on you. 105 points per game, that's seven. That's not typically pop offense. They usually slow it down. This team can go up, they can slow, they've got Kawhi, they've got LA, uh, Patty Mills off the bench, Ginobili. David they, West. They, they, God damn, David West, Tim Duncan, they are absolutely stacked. 
And, like, they have history of being able to, like, those players have history of being able to dominate Trailblazers. And they, like I said, they score seventh best. But they defend well, and that's what the great teams, the elite teams do. They do at both ends of the court. They only give up 92.3 points per game. That's tops in the league. It's even stingier at home. 94, 90.4 points per game is all they give up at home. That is elite. That's one all-time best type type of numbers right there. They are very efficient. No surprise shooting the basketball. Nearly 49%. Uh, that's first in the NBA. They've even added three-point shooters. Uh, Kawhi is the best three-point shooter percentage-wise in the league. As a team, they shoot a, a hair over 38%, which is second best. And their point differential. They beat teams, on average, by 12.2 points per game. That's number one in the league. They have a plus 15 differential at home. And they have an astounding 42 wins of 10-plus points. That is flat-out ridiculous. And, oh, we forgot Kevin Martin, who's pretty much a Blazers killer. And Andre Miller. Uh, so they're, they're going all in for this. And, uh, you know, Portland's got the work cut out for them because they've only held an opponent under 105 times in the last 19 games. I don't see it, it, it happening. I see San Antonio getting a lot over 100. But I, I know we're giving away our prediction here, but what's your X factor for the game? What, what If the Blazers do win this game, what's going to have to be the X factor? I, I honestly trust Aminu to contain Kawhi a little bit. I think it's going to be guarding LaMarcus Aldridge. Actually guarding the posts of the Spurs. To me, it's Dame. He is the one player we have that is superstar level, that can get you a win just by himself. And he loves playing with Spurs. He has a career average of 26.2 points per game. That's second best of any team, uh, of any opponent that he that he uh, plays against. Uh, 6.4 assists, 5.3 boards. Shoots over 40% from three and 49% from the field. If it's going to take like a 45, 50 point night, he's got 43 on them before, uh, just last year. So if Portland wins, you look at that box score, Dame is going to have his fingerprints all over that outcome. Oh, without a doubt. I think he's probably going to get his average of 26 or 30. I just don't think it's going to be enough. I see the Spurs. I think they're going to handle us pretty easily, unfortunately. So when Kawhi Leonard and Dame are on the floor. What do you think the percentage percent of the time Kawhi is defending Damien? You know, I think it all depends on time and situation. Pop's probably not going to wear out Kawhi. He's, he wants to save him for Steph. He knows that that's the ultimate matchup. And it takes a lot to guard a guy like Lillard. If Dame starts getting it going and it's a close game in the second half, then you're going to see that switch. I would be surprised if he went to it right off the bat. This, to me... If you're the Spurs and you see the Blazers coming to town, you shouldn't need to do something like that to beat the Trailblazers. Hopefully, if, if you're a Spur, if you're going for the Spurs, yeah, and we're not going for the Spurs. Yeah. I'm just trying to be yeah. objective about. Oh yeah, I, I'm going loss. Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I think the trend continues. Portland's going to get hammered. I, if we, I expect a loss, but I would be happy if we kept it under ten points to show that hey, we can actually play with a team we might match up in the playoffs because these last few weeks have kind of, I don't know, tempered my my enthusiasm for the team. Well, I don't know. There's one thing to win and lose, but when you just get hammered by by good teams, it's kind of 
you're hoping it's not a precursor for what's to come. So I would love to see this team prove me wrong, but uh, I got lost. And then they go back to back against your, your boo, the New Orleans Pelicans, who are just uh, 24 and 41 in the season, two and eight in their last 10 and just 17 and 15 at home. So not too dominant at the Smoothie King Center. Yeah, we suck. And We're tanking. It's a blatant I think, tank. I think of any game, this is a must win for the Portland Trailblazers. If you underestimate the Pelicans, there's three players on this team that you have to worry about. Ryan Anderson, because he's at home. His percentages are so much different home and away. He actually shoots 20% better at the Smoothie King Center. Drew Holiday... And he's starting now and playing a lot of minutes with Anthony Davis. When those two play together, they average 70 points as a duo. So that's what you have to worry about. They're the most injured team in the NBA. I was looking at their uh, basketball reference page and couldn't believe it. They're without Tyreek Evans, Eric Gordon, Quincy Pondexter, what's his name, Bryce DeJohn Jones. Yep. Uh, is Norris Cole going to be back? Doubt it. Alexis and, Jensa, too. And Alexa, Alexis Jensa, is he going to be out, too? Oh, he's did, out did for they, the year. So, yeah. So this this will be the, the fourth and final matchup. Uh, as you know, the Trailblazers are 2-1 and one in the season. You witnessed two beautiful Blazer victories in I person. Did, I only witnessed one because of the snowstorm, remember? Oh, that's yeah, right. You witnessed the most beautiful one in person, though. It was a, a 112-94 drubbing of the Pelicans on opening night. Uh, CJ had that 37-point performance, 24 in the first quarter. They played on December 14th again in Portland. It was a lot closer. It was a 105-101 victory. Dame had 30, five Blazers in double figures. And New Orleans got a little payback in NOLA uh, the day before Christmas Eve, a 115-89 victory. Uh, to without, note, Dame, though, without Dame. Without Dame. No Dame. And that also was the last game of a five-game road trip. So Portland was looking to get the heck out of Dodge, get home for the holidays, uh, give New Orleans credit for winning that game. They played much better. But I think, obviously, Portland has to slow Anthony Davis down. You look at his pre-All-Star numbers and his post-All-Star numbers, and it's almost night and day. Mm -hmm. Pre-All-Star, it's 23.4 points per game, 10 boards, got to the line about 6.7 times, shot 30% from three. After the All-Star break, he's been a man on a mission. 28.6 points, 12 boards, getting to the line 8.6 times, and shooting a pretty impressive 41% from three. Like Lillard, he's he's a player who can win a game ball by himself. We saw that with his 59-point performance against the Pistons in Detroit. So Portland, like you said, cannot take this team lightly. I I think they 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 have to win this game. This if there is any such thing as a must win victory, this it's is this, it. it's this. I, I need to see some, especially if they're zero and two in this road trip, as we're predicting. They need to come out like gangbusters and really Beat the put dog it to shit out of us. I mean, that's what that's what you have to do. My X factor is holding New Orleans under 100 points. Sage, how many victories do the Pelicans have this year scoring under 100 points? Like two. You guess? zero. Oh. They have not won a game by scoring less than 100 points. So Portland holds them under 100. Stats say they are going to win this game. We need to see defensive improvement. I think it might start with the Pelicans game. I'm going a big Blazer victory. What say you? I think that the X factor is stopping Drew Holiday because 
What he likes to do is run pick and roll with Anthony Davis and throw lobs to him. And if the, the Pelicans get that going, it's going to be a long night. Because if Anthony Davis is looking for lobs, he's going to play motivated on offense and defense. But with how bad of a roster they have, they don't have, they have a guy, they have Tony Douglas starting at the two. They have Luke Babbitt starting at the three sometimes. DJ needs to eat if Douglas is starting at the two. So I don't talk about FanDuel DraftKings that much anymore. But if you play, here's my suggestion. CJ McCollum is on your teams regardless. Same with Damian Lillard. Because those two are going to eat because of how bad of an offense, I mean, how bad of defense they are. And it's funny because New Orleans is actually the 15th ranked defense after the Christmas break. So what they have to do is eat. And if they dominate and limit Drew Holiday's assist to Anthony Davis, it's a blowout win. And we get to see Brian Roberts shoot 30 times against the Pelicans. So do you think that'll happen, Blazers win? Yeah, I do. All right. That that puts Portland in a position to come home with a split if they can take care of business against the Dallas Mavericks on Sunday. The Mavericks are 34-33. and Uh, We touched on their home home woes earlier. They're just 19-6 and at home. They had lost five straight before um, beating... The Charlotte Hornets in North Carolina, 107-96. The Hornets had won seven straight, I believe like 18 of their last 23 before that game. So that that was a, an impressive victory for Dallas. I did not see that coming. And these teams, it's weird how the NBA schedule does this. The Blazers played the Rockets three times over a span of 19 days. We played the the Mavericks one time back in, I think, December. We lost at 115 to 112 in overtime. Uh, Dirk had 28, Darren had 30. Uh, if you remember, the Blazers blew a seven point lead with 143 to go. Just terrible, terrible way to finish the game. But then Portland only plays Dallas three times. And when you're fighting for tiebreakers, Portland has to win these next two games because they play them back to back. First in Dallas, then in Portland. We're talking about the one on the road. I wrote down, it's not a must win, but I think it's a need win. You need this win to send a message to your teammates, to the rest of the teams fighting in playoff position, and to the fans that, hey, we're serious about this playoffs, and we're going to beat a team that we're in contention for. I think if you beat Dallas on the road, you're going to beat them at home. You get that tiebreaker, you're almost huge. You're, they're in your rear view. They are not coming back just like Utah. You can just, out of sight, out of mind, then you're only looking ahead to Houston and behind, or excuse me, you're looking ahead to Memphis and behind to Houston. You can just forget about Dallas if you pick up this victory. Um, like Portland, they're struggling a lot um, on the defensive end. Uh, over their last five losses, they've allowed almost 109 points per game. So who this would have game- thought playing Dirk Nowitzki and David Lee at the same time would be a bad idea for defense? Yeah, but can Portland make them pay? Because we do not go in the paint unless it's off of dribble penetration. We do not have that low post guy that's just going to beat him up inside. I think. I think it's one of those games that Dame has to penetrate like he's a bat out of hell. He just has to go after the hoop. Oh, the backcourt in general, because you're looking at what? how old is Darren Williams? He's probably 32 years old, and you've got Wesley Matthews coming off of a torn Achilles. Dame and CJ just got to go around And Raymond Felton's getting major minutes. Do they still play J.J. Barea? Yeah, but the finishing five is... uh, I've got to just go at them. 
The finishing five is D. Will, Raymond Felton, Wes Matthews, Chandler Parsons, and then a mix of Dirk and Lee. Do they not play Zaza anymore? I don't understand why. He's so good. Because like, this could be a game where Zaza leaves his imprint, and I think if he does play, if he doesn't play, that's a huge victory for Portland. Well, I mean, because, he plays, but his rotation minutes have gone down a lot. Well, that's a, that's a blessing for him, because he is a very good, he's a double-double machine and when he gets a lot of minutes. Um, remember when the Bucks were a top-five defense in the league? He was the only one who left, and they're the worst. So. Yeah, this game almost feels like who's going to get hot from three could win it. Uh, you look at Portland, they average 28.5 three-point attempts, which is sixth in the league. Dallas averages 28.2 three-point attempts, which is seventh. Both teams like to, to let it fly from deep, and whichever one gets hot might walk away from the victory. Uh, what's your X factor for this one, Sage? Playing smart against the pick and roll. That is my X factor. Because All right. When the Mavs are struggling, what they do is they do a Dirk Raymond Felton pick and roll. Dirk pushes the hell out of the defender, which leaves an opening for Raymond Felton to go straight to the hoop or pass it back to Dirk for an open three. So I think that is going to be a huge X factor is defense on pick and roll. Because they run it a lot because smart teams run pick and roll a lot. What about you? you? Know, that's, a great, that's a great point with the pick and roll, and it does have a little bit to do with Dirk. My X factor are, are other Maverick players not named Dirk Davitsky. In four of their last five losses, no other Maverick other than Dirk has scored more than 20 points. Uh, no surprise, and their win over Charlotte, Parsons had 24, Dirk had 23. So I think you can let Dirk get his 25, 30 points. You just got to let the role players keep them in check. And you look at Two players in particular, Chandler Parsons and Darren Williams. For Chandler Parsons, when the Mavericks win games, 15 points on 54% shooting. In losses, it goes down to 13 points on 45% shooting. You look at Darren Williams with 30 points in that first matchup with the Trailblazers. He's getting 16 points, 39% from three, 44% from the field and wins. The losses, it goes down to 12 points, just 31% from three, and a just uh, awful 38% from the field. Those are pretty big splits in terms of wins and losses. It tells me that those two are going to be the key for Dallas. If Portland can finally keep a goddamn point guard in check, they'll win this game. I think they, they, they know this game is important. I think they're going to find a way to win. If they beat New Orleans, they're going to come off this game. I think they get a day off. Looking at the schedule, yes, they do get a day off. They're going to find a way to win this game. It's going to be a tight one, but this is just the momentum they need heading into that stretch run. What do you say? I really am starting to think that that win versus New Orleans is going to be the the domino that sets the whole thing going because the added confidence of beating New Orleans will help against Dallas and then it, so I I think that we're going to win. I think we got to limit the pick and roll. Hopefully Zaza won't play as much and it'll be David Lee guarding the hoop. I'm going to win. What about you? All right. No, yeah, win. So we both got them going, uh, two and one on the week, two and two. If you factor in that OKC game, uh, that we touched on earlier as well and what happened, cause I'm sure we both would have taken a loss in, in that one. So for those listening, the Blazers, they take on the Spurs Thursday, March 17th in San Antonio. 
at 5.30. You can catch that game if you don't have Comcast on NBA TV. Back-to-back Friday, they go to uh, New Orleans. That game can be seen at 5 p.m. Then they round out the road trip Sunday, March 20th. Little Sunday matinee for you, Sage, at, at 1 p.m. I hate so those games. That's the road trip. Um, Blazers, this is really one of the last hurdles of the tough schedule. If they can escape two and two, major, major success. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, there's no other way to put it. And I think that gives them confidence going into the stretch run. As we mentioned, eight of their next 11 will be at home after this road trip. You take care of home cooking. Get a little bit of help from the Grizzlies who are struggling right now. Maybe the Rockets pick up a couple losses. You're looking at that fifth seed, most likely against the Los Angeles Clippers, and that gives you the best chance of a long, hard-fought series. Yeah, and it seems like Damian's been more motivated to go against Chris Paul this year. So, Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, let's... We've actually got a treat for our listeners. We put it out there on Twitter, on Instagram. We're partnering up with our good buddy, Evan, giving away one of his awesome Dame Time shirts. All you have to do, win our Holy Backboard Bracket Challenge. Sage will put the link in the SoundCloud description, but if you just want to search uh, Holy Backboard, when you go to ESPN for their bracket challenge, we're right there. We're an open group. Join. The winner's going to get one t-shirt courtesy of, of Evan. So good luck. And uh, Sage, any early Final Four predictions? I think that Michigan State's going to do very well. Well, that's a given. That's Tom Izzo. I mean, I, I always pick State to do well. Uh, outside of Oregon, uh, I really root for Michigan State. I love Tom Izzo, but I'm definitely full for the Ducks. I've really only picked my first round of games been just, I don't know if I'm overthinking it or doing my due diligence, but I've got my first round. I don't have my final four. Uh, I am going to pick Oregon to go to the final four. Obviously I will say that I do not think Virginia is going to the final four as a one seed. So they will be the one of the one seeds that I knock out. I just have a feeling it's going to be chaos this year. No team has really separated themselves. There's been different number one, uh, in the poll every other week. It just comes down to, one, do you have the cojones to make an upset pick? And two, does it come true? Because there are upset picks that analysts are, are talking about, oh, is Yale going to beat Baylor? And that scares me when like three analysts get on the same page about an upset because that's almost like a red flag, like, hey, that upset ain't, ain't happening. <laughs> For me, every time we've done this, and we've done this like four years in a row, I fall in love with a player Auto Porter. Auto Porter. <laughs> Auto Porter. Or Iowa State in general. And I think they go really far, and they almost always screw me. So you I'm not. picked Georgetown to go to the Final Four, and they, they lost the first round that year, dude. Same with Iowa State. The first game of the first day. I, I fall in love with prospects, man. So I always think that they're going to do well. Well, there's no Ben Simmons in this one. I <laughs> Yeah, well, I love Denzel Valentine, so. But I think that that's a better I love this player pick than Otto Porter, who I thought would be a great small forward. 
Okay, so everybody out there, have Michigan State losing in your bracket early. When Sage picks a player, hitches his wagon to him, that team falters big time. So have them going out in the second or third round. Your bracket will be golden. You might be sporting a sweet M Dame T uh, because of it. So you heard it here first. I mean, we're, we're, we're basically giving away bracket information for free right now. They should, <laughs> you know, crack this down right now. Sage, what, what you're giving us, highway robbery. <laughs> yeah, these two great teams are going to do well. Except the no, Sage curse. No, it's going to have the, the uh, reverse effect. Yeah, the Sage curse. Sage curse. I mean, it, it struck with Chris Middleton. It's coming back full force. <laughs> You're never living down that Middleton. I know. Oh, man. I'm never living, so Sage, living down Otto Porter. I think it's time for a little mail time. It's true. Uh, I got a couple questions uh, from the Holy Backboard account. Sent out the sent out the request for fan questions right before we started uh, podcasting tonight. And our first one is from Peter Swenson, aka at Sloop. He wants to know: question for the podcast was the difference between the Orlando Thunder win loss this season's greatest fall in field goal percentage between games. Now, this is one I actually had to go to Basketball Reference and look up, but off the top of my head, it made sense that it would be. In Orlando, we shot the shit out of the basketball, and then we saw tonight we couldn't hit the broads out of the barn. That's the NBA for you. But the final verdict is yes, it was the largest difference between games. Portland shot a staggering 56% against the Orlando Magic. They shot just... 34.1% against the Thunder tonight. That is a nearly a 22% difference. Uh, other games where it was uh, pretty close was we shot 49% in a win at the Lakers, and it went down to uh, 35% the following game against the Bulls. Uh, we remember that game. Very, very tough Chicago defense. That's when they were one of the best teams in the league. That's when they were healthy. And then there was also a game, a back-to-back. They were actually both losses, if you could believe that or not. Let me find it right now. It was early in November. We had played uh, the Detroit Pistons. That was the game where we blew that big lead. We did shoot fantastically, 53.9%, but we followed that up the next night. Of course, it was a back-to-back in the Mile High City against the Nuggets. Went down to 39.6, so about a 14.3% differential, but nothing even really comes close to that 22% uh, variance from Saturday to tonight. So, long story short, the answer is yes. And uh, perfect segue into the next question from Long Story Longer, one of our favorite listeners, uh, favorite tweeters. So if you're not following her, give her a follow. She's a huge Blazer fan, season ticket holder. She wants to know, what the hell happened tonight? How does tonight affect your guys' thoughts about the playoffs and seeding? Anything. Not just tonight, the handful of losses we've had lately. Now, Sage, we, we touched on this early in the podcast. I really still think we're going to get the fifth seed if we get those 10 wins. we got to go 10-4. and four. You know, that'll be tough like we discussed. But you, this is just a tough patch. And if they get out of it and they start beating the teams they should be and they play a little bit more competitive, everything's going to be fine. We're going to forget this even happened. We both think it's going to be that New Orleans game that's going to turn the tide. Are you still on board with that? I think that these games 
have just added to my opinion that we need more help for Damien. It really hasn't affected my opinion on, like, how we'll do in the playoffs or any of that. It just it just helps cement the fact that we need a little help in free agency. That's I, about it. Yeah, I completely agree. It doesn't really change. I mean, yeah, if we're playing super well, like when we'd won six straight road games and we're winning, what, like 17 of 21, you the thought creeps into your mind that you might win uh, a playoff series, but realistically, that's not the case this season. So you're correct. The expectations for this season stay the same. It really hammers home. Portland needs some interior defense, and they need other options on offense. It can't just be Dame and CJ. They need more help. And I, th- I think also with them playing together more, it's going to help them so they learn how to defend the things that ailed them. I mean, continuity and playing together definitely helps. So it's not a big deal, but it's something that when you look at the games, it's, oh, this is what I see. This is the the information I get from what I see. So, no, it doesn't scare me, but it definitely reinforces that we need a little extra help. And at 11.36 p.m. on a Monday night, after Portland had just lost to the Thunder, you're giving them the benefit of the doubt that these five losses that we've had in our last uh, seven games, four of them have not been competitive, will give Portland the benefit of the doubt. They ran into a buzzsaw of tough opponents on the road, but if they come back from this road trip with just one win, maybe zero wins at all, then you start to hit the panic button. They really need to get a split on this trip and, and right the ship. So we think they can, we believe they will, but at at some point, the buck has to stop, and Portland has to flip the switch and start getting these these big playoff victories down the stretch. Because once you get past the midway point in March, uh, once winter turns into spring, they're all playoff games. Yeah. It may not say it in in the standings, in in the record books, in the box scores. These are all playoff games. You're essentially fighting for which seed you want. They need to start making it happen. We believe they will, but they still got to show it. And, and and the teams that we played are all very intelligent teams. So we kind of, in a way, got outclassed intelligently and physically. It's all learning experiences when you're this young of a team. So yeah, it's scary because we had a really we've been struggling, but this is all par, par for the course. We're a young team. All it takes is one big victory. It was that one big victory over the Thunder. Early in February or January, Portland had that tough stretch. They got just destroyed by the Grizzlies. The Clippers handled us. The Warriors handled us. It was the last game of that homestand. The Thunder came in. Dame just puts on the Superman cape, scores 17 in in three minutes, gets us that win. That really triggered um, a positive reaction for this team ever since. You know, the season, it's 82 games. There's a lot of ebbs and there's a lot of flows. Right now, you know, we're in kind of a valley. We were, we were just peaked. we got to dig ourselves out of that valley now. And all it takes is one victory. I think it's going to be that New Orleans game. They're not the Pelicans team that we thought they were preseason, but it would still be a huge win on the road. And if you could follow it up with a win in Dallas, you've got the Mavericks again at home. And now all of a sudden we're talking about a three-game winning streak, two coming at against an opponent who is neck and neck with you in the standings. 
and then you can finish strong at home. So it really starts with a victory in New Orleans, and we're not even having this discussion next week in the podcast. Next week, we might start thinking, you know, can the Blazers give one of these teams a run for the money in the playoffs? That's just the way the season's gone. It's been up and down, back and forth. You just got to ride the waves, and just hopefully they can make it happen. I mean, we're all prisoners of the moment, are we not? We are. Uh, Luis Montero and Cliff Alexander are in the D-League. Are their roster spots open? And no, they're not. Nope, they're not open. They're still property of the Portland Trailblazers, and Portland has the ability to recall and recall them up and down as many times as they want. Yep. Pretty much at will. So those roster spots stay closed. Yep. Uh, All right. I think that about does it. Uh, Give this podcast, uh, you know, if you love what you're hearing, give us us a five-star rating on iTunes. Subscribe. Uh, You'll be the first to know when there's a new episode out. You don't have to wait for us to uh, send it out on Twitter. Uh, Speaking of Twitter, you can find us at Holy Backboard. uh, If you'd like to send us an email, Uh, you can do so at HolyBackboardPDX at gmail.com. And you can find this podcast on Stitcher and on SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. It will be up sometime Tuesday evening. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it'll be up Tuesday evening. So a little bit of a rough week for the Blazers, kind of chalk as planned. All they really need to do is get two wins on this road trip, and you're feeling great about this team again, ready for this stretch run. Cannot believe there's only 14 games left. Then the real fun begins. Sage, let's pick up some big victories on the road, and – Let's get to it. Rip City, baby. Yep. Let's go! Let's go!